Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden, we are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church right here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for tuning in. Each week we take a look at the upcoming readings for the Divine Service. Today we're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday in Lent. Fourth Sunday in Lent is a little bit odd. It uh, has readings that you wouldn't normally consider to be quote-unquote Lenten readings. Uh, Pastor, uh, a little bit about this Sunday and why it is unique and a little bit different. Well, uh, the uh, the focus uh, that we have here in this particular week is from John chapter 6, uh, where Jesus feeds the uh, the great multitude with the, the bread, loaves, and the fishes. Uh, and uh, we're focusing on the first 15 verses of that, uh, specifically that exact miracle. And um, it's kind of appropriate because it does help us to look forward to Holy Week a little bit and prepare for some of the things that are coming, and yet uh, it, it isn't explicitly about Jesus's upcoming death and resurrection, uh, and so that's maybe the part that feels a little bit odd to it. What uh, In some congregations, uh, it looks a little bit different on this fourth Sunday in Lent as well. What... Uh what might uh, people see or encounter when they step into a liturgical church on the fourth Sunday in Lent? Well, um, and I think this is probably pretty rare, but uh, uh, this is one of those Sundays where uh, the intro, it begins with the word rejoice and joy, just like we have in the season of Advent. And so for that reason, there are some congregations that do get out the rose-colored pyramids for this uh, particular Sunday, uh, and it kind of has just that little bit lighter mood to it again, uh, sort of like we have during the season of Advent. Um, and so in that regard, that's something that you could see, although, boy, i I'm not sure of a church that does it in Lincoln, Nebraska. Are you? Well, I, I would say probably less than five percent of the of the uh, Missouri Synod congregations do it. It's a fairly common sight in Roman Catholic and Anglican churches, though. Yes, uh, we do mark uh, this this Rejoice Sunday, uh, La Terre. Uh, this does mark a stark contrast between what follows. Because starting in the fifth Sunday in Lent, we see a definite move to Passion Week and the cross. And so we get one extra Sunday of special rejoicing right here in the Sunday of Lent, this uh, fourth Sunday in Lent, before we take an intentional move to Holy Week, the cross, and the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Well, instead of talking about the fourth Sunday in Lent, Vicar, do you want to share the words of our gospel, John chapter 6, 1 to 15? After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread 
so that these people may eat. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Okay, here we have the beginning of uh, one of one of the most uh, significant chapters in all of Scripture, John chapter 6. John ch- chapter 6 has been a... Um, Oh, I don't know, kind of a bugaboo for a lot of people, and uh, there is no uh, institution of the Lord's Supper in John 6, and so people want to do all kinds of uh, exegetical gymnastics, making John 6 uh, totally or solely sacramental. Uh, Jesus later on in this chapter says that I am the bread of life that has come down from heaven, a great incarnational proclamation. He also says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And uh, so people are postulating whether this is in reference to the supper. Uh, the uh, standard Lutheran interpretation of this is that is that is a reference to faith and indirectly to the Lord's Supper, not directly to the Lord's Supper. I don't want to get bogged down on uh, those kind of things today, but those are the kind of things that people encounter when this chapter is before them. Uh, and, and comments, I, Pastor? Well, yeah, I, I think the important thing that uh, you as a listener might want to remember is that when you're talking about the Lord's Supper, always go to the clearest word about that, which is the verba themselves as they're in Matthew 26, in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 10 and 11, and uh, the, also in Mark and Luke as well. Go to the words themselves to learn about the Lord's Supper to begin with, and then you can go to the more difficult passages and maybe see the connections that are there. Okay, so here in John 6, we have this... Uh, uh, marvelous, marvelous miracle recorded for us. It's also recorded in the other uh, three synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, it starts out in John 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away. Pastor, what's going on in John 5? After what? Well, uh in John chapter 5, we have Jesus who heals uh, a man at the pool of Bethesda, uh, and where Jesus uh, says that he is uh, equal to God, or at least is accused of being that, um, and uh, kind of has a response to that, that he has authority for these things. The hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear it will live, talking about the resurrection as well. And so these things that kind of happen in the Jerusalem area following that healing uh, are the things that are being talked about, and so it's 
after this that Jesus kind of uh, goes back up to the Galilee area, and that's when this uh, particular miracle happens. It is it is rather significant that at the end of chapter 5 in John, Jesus clearly teaches the resurrection of the body on the last day. Those, those verses are quoted at the end of the Athanasian Creed. They always need to be put in context. But Jesus now is going to teach about the incarnation. He's also going to display his authority uh, with this uh, miracle, the multiplication of the bread and the fish. And so Jesus is uh, in word and in action playing out everything that he's taught in John chapter four and be, uh, 5 and before. So uh, I think that is significant and uh, just to, to encourage people to read not just snippets of God's word, which is always the temptation, but uh, to read everything in its context. And many times the, uh, the questions that come to mind are simply answered that way by seeing what's going on in the uh, particular area. So Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Pastor, a little uh, geographical information here. Well, uh, the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, is a, basically it's a large freshwater lake. Um, in Minnesota, it's, it's about the same size as Lake Malax, which a lot of people walleye fish on if you're a, a fisherman. But uh, uh, it's about that size. You can see across it. And uh, Jesus goes to the other side, which means to the northern part of it. And uh, uh, that's the area then where this miracle takes place. Um, it's also called the Sea of Tiberias uh, after the emperor at the time, Tiberius, uh, although we have the Greek spelling of it in our Bibles instead of the Latin version. So the crowds are following him, God's word says, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. This uh, word signs is very significant, especially in the gospel of John. What are these signs all about, Pastor? Well, uh, in the Gospel of John, John is writing about the signs that proved that Jesus was the Son of God, that he uh, was the Messiah, that he is the Word made flesh who dwelt among us. Uh, and so throughout the uh, the book, John is always talking about the different signs and uh, how they point to the reality of Christ. In fact, he ends his gospel by saying um, there were many other signs that Jesus performed. If we were to write them all down, it would fill uh, a ton of books. Um, and, and so that's the, the whole point John's gospel is, the signs that prove Jesus is God in the flesh. But these are written... That, that you, you may, may believe. believe that Jesus is the Christ. And we're going to see that at the end of our uh, little pericope here. It says, Jesus went up on the mountain. Do we know what mountain that is, Pastor? Um, not with 100%, um, although uh, there is a particular church that is in this location um, that has a mosaic floor that dates all the way back to the uh, 3rd and 4th century A.D. Um, that has on its floor, it has um, four loaves of bread in the mosaic tiles and also then two fish. And uh, the interesting thing about this is that it was mosaic right underneath the altar with the idea that the fifth loaf is the one that sits on the altar that was used for the Lord's Supper uh, in that particular church. And so there, with the ancientness of that particular church, there is an indication that that's probably um, the particular church this took place at. Um, not that there was church at that time, but the location. And um, additionally, 
the idea of the mountain here, um, it's it's probably a, a hill. It is steep. It is a mountain in that regard, um, but it um, it's not a particular one that has a name or anything like that. It's indicating also to us that as Jesus is going up on this mountain, that he is the incarnation of the God of the Old Testament with Moses, who provided the manna in the wilderness. And the up on the mountain part indicates the that idea. And, you know, here in Nebraska, we, we uh, don't have mountains. And so any, any big hill, any giant bump is kind of like a mountain to us. And I think that to, for our hearers to get that in their mind, uh, it's not like they got out the, uh, the ropes and the picks and climbed up on top of a mountain. They just they went up on top of a big, big hill that mm-hmm. uh, is mountain-like. It says, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So what? Well, I, I think this is, uh, the reason John mentions this is to bring it to our attention because it's going to be at the Passover meal in Jerusalem that Jesus is going to institute the Lord's Supper. And so this is bridging the gap between the Old Testament, the Passover uh, that Moses uh, helped teach the people of Israel about by God's word, that uh, Moses fed the people of Israel in the wilderness uh, with the manna, and now Jesus is fulfilling both of these things and is preparing us to have its complete fulfillment uh, on Monday, Thursday in the Lord's Supper Institution. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday in Lent. When we come back, we're going to look at the specific miracle, Jesus and the feeding of the multitudes, the loaves and the fish. Don't change that tile. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We are looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday in Lent. In our first segment, we did some introductory work on this Sunday, the fourth Sunday in Lent, and some uh, preparatory remarks with regard to our gospel reading, John 6, 1 to 15. We want to take a look at this text beginning in verse 5 now. It says, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him. Uh, What is the significance of lifting up his eyes, Pastor, and uh, also thinking about the the big crowd? Well, um, the the way it says here is it's it's like indicating to us that he's looking up and, oh, boy, there's a lot of people here. It's... um, uh, it's, it's his recognition of what's going on and being prepared to do what he needs to do. Is there, is there any significance of lifting up his eyes to the hills, lifting up his eyes to God? Is that implied or is that pushing these words too far? I would say that's probably pushing the words just a, a little bit further than what it uh, is trying to indicate here. In the, uh, the Greek, it's, it's not really... It's just like he's looking up, right? The same thing you would do if you were 
uh, focused on something else, and all of a sudden you looked up and there was a large crowd there. He took notice. He took notice. Okay, very good. Um, and so now it says that he uh, tests one of the disciples. He tests Philip by saying, where do we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And Philip comes back, and uh, Philip is a good Lutheran. Uh, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to eat a little. Uh, he, uh, he thinks about the money. He uh, thinks about the negative. <laughs> um, what, what is the testing that's going on here that God's word clearly refers to in verse 6? Well, this uh, brings us back again to the Exodus and to Moses, which uh, uh, is an important theme throughout all of John's Gospel. In uh, John's Gospel, these signs also indicate that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that Moses has written. And so we remember at the Passover time, the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness and saying, what are we going to eat? We had all these meat pots back in Egypt, and now we're out here starving to death in the wilderness, and God provided bread from heaven. And so now this test that Jesus is giving to uh, his disciples here. You know, we're out in the desert, in the wilderness, and uh, we have all these people we need to feed. How are we going to do it? And uh, Philip's response here is Lutheran in the sense that it's very practical, right? And Lutherans, uh, especially the uh, German-descended Lutherans, uh, are very much all about uh, very practical things. Well, it's going to cost this much. There's here, we're going to have to go get the bread. I don't know how we're going to do it. it. It doesn't seem possible. But Jesus wants him to do is to look at him and say, you're God, you fed your people in the wilderness uh, many years ago, you're going to take care of it here and now. And so that's what Jesus is looking for. It's not the answer that uh, Philip the Lutheran gives. He, uh, he's, Jesus is looking for faith. And uh, Andrew, um, I don't know if Andrew's being a smart aleck here, or Andrew is uh, exercising his faith. Vicar, what does Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, tell Jesus? That there's a boy who's got five loaves and two fish. So that's so that's besides the money, that's the only food they have. And he's thinking, how's that going to feed so many people? Yeah, one one of the one of the kids here uh, was smart enough to pack a lunch, and uh, but what are they for so many? What are they for so many? Pastor, is this an indication of a lack of faith? Is this practicality? Is he now saying, Jesus, this is all we got. What are you going to do with it? I, I think it's uh, I think it's a statement of the futility of the situation, right? We, we can't use this, but this is all we've got, right? Um, uh, pin cushions and uh, uh, I don't remember the saying, you know, pillowcases and pin cushions or whatever. That's what we've got. But I don't think that's going to work for what we need or duct tape and rubber bands, right? Uh, that's what, what uh, Andrew's kind of saying here. Here's what we've got, but it's not going to work. Jesus said now in verse 10, have the people sit down. And in the other uh, gospel accounts, we have them divided into groups of 50 and 100 and all this kind of stuff. But um, the text says here in John, John 6, verse 10, there was much grass in this place. Pastor, is that significant? It definitely is, because now uh, we're also seeing this as a fulfillment of Psalm 23, where the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me by the still waters. He uh, sits me down in the green pastures. Uh, these words that are from the 23rd Psalm have their fulfillment in what Jesus is doing here as well. And I think this is really great, and this shows you the depth 
of St. John's Gospel. It's maybe the simplest in its writing and easy to understand, and yet John sees all of the Old Testament scriptures having their fulfillment of Jesus, and so he points out these little details so that we might find that fulfillment uh, easily as we study the gospel more and more. When uh, uh, Jesus then, in verse 11, took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them uh, those that were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. That given thanks word is uh, a word where people jump off at because uh, if my, I don't have my Greek text in front of me, but that is a form of the uh, Eucharist word. Yep. And so what are we to make of that? Did Jesus simply give thanks or is there some sacramental overtone here? What, uh, what are we to make of this, Pastor? Maybe the way to think about it is um, this is not the Lord's Supper here. And yet, at the same time, it's preparing us for the Lord's Supper, which is to come. And so it's maybe like the red carpet that is uh, welcoming us into the understanding of these things so that when the time is right, we can get the fullness of uh, entering into them. And so it uses the same language, taking the bread and giving thanks. He gave it to them, right? That's the same sort of thing that we have in the words of institution. And yet it's still preparatory in that regard. It's pointing ahead to when Jesus fulfills all these things. And and so it's bringing all these ideas together, the 23rd Psalm, the Exodus, uh, the manna in the wilderness, and it's saying, look, we're going to point you forward to where these things are fulfilled in Jesus. That is extremely well said. Hope you're taking notes there, Vicar. Uh, that is extremely well said and a great way to understand it. Um, the uh, Lutheran tradition is that before we eat, uh, we say a prayer of thanks as well. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And uh, that is, that is uh, a simple way of acknowledging that God is the giver of all good gifts, and not because we deserve it, or earn it, but out of God's mercy, he provides for us everything we need to support this body and life. Okay, um, so we have the miracle here, and it says in verse 12, and when they had eaten to their fill, uh, people were not just given a little dab or enough to tide them over until they could get home. They ate until their bellies were full. Pastor, why is this important uh, for us to note this in this particular text? Well, um, we have to understand that uh, they're starting with five loaves of bread and two fish, and they're feeding all these people. And could we theoretically divide these loaves up into pieces so that everybody could get some, right? Yeah, we could give everybody a little crumb, and we probably could get everybody a piece of bread. But the indication that uh, everyone eats to their filled state, to their fullness, indicates that there is a miracle here. It isn't just that uh, everybody got a little teeny tiny bit, and that was what, what they had, and that's what they gave. They had enough to fill their stomach. Um, and uh, again, the 23rd Psalm, my cup runneth over, that's the kind of idea that we have here. There's more than enough. And even the way that it's distributed uh, is in the iterative sense, where they kept reaching in the basket and pulling out more bread, and it never ran out as they were reaching in and distributing it in that way. In keeping with that uh, cup runneth over uh, imagery from Psalm 23, there is, 
not only eating to their fill, but there are leftovers. There are 12 baskets of leftover fragments. And then it says that nothing may be lost. Um, are, we, are we just talking about being a good steward of leftovers and uh, make sure you clean out the refrigerator before you go to the grocery store? Or is there other significance here, Pastor? Well, um, there's more significance to it. And the idea is, is that um, people who are receiving this, that they might not... Um, He's talking about faith again. He's talking about the people who have faith. He doesn't want any of those who ought to be in heaven to be lost. And that's the indication that he's making here by this statement. And so they're picking up the bread and they're learning about what their future job as disciples are going to be, to go out and to preach the word and minister the sacraments that none may be lost. And they don't get to just do that for who they want to. They are there to get whoever God wants to be saved is maybe the way to say it. Okay. In uh, verse 14, Vicar, uh, how did the people react when they saw this sign? Uh, they reacted as he was a prophet, one of his three t- titles of prophet, peace, priest, and king. This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world, um, perceiving him as an earthly prophet. Pastor, when we see the... Uh, article in front of prophet uh, yeah. and and you're spot on vicar but this is not a prophet this is the prophet what's that all about well so we have again the idea that jesus is providing the bread in the wilderness just as moses had talked about and has happened with the manna during the time of the exodus we go to deuteronomy 18 where moses promises that there'll be a prophet like him that will come later and that they ought to listen to that prophet and uh, the people are putting that together and saying look jesus is the prophet that moses foretold back in deuteronomy 18 uh at the end, we have kind of an odd uh, thing that goes on here in uh, verses fif- in verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I thought Jesus came to be our king. What, what's this going on here, Pastor, this seemingly strange reaction of Jesus? Historically speaking, this is the way that uh, people gained power is by popularity, right? Uh, so uh, Augustus, Still Tiberius, and even, uh, uh, I mean, we're at the time of Tiberius here, but later on we have Caligula and uh, uh, Claudius especially, that uh, they maintain their power by keeping people's bellies full on their dime. And uh, even today that's what happens, right? Uh, Absolutely. The promise we're going to pay for your college or whatnot. People... Are, are being bought politically by bread at that time. And so what they want to do is they want to have a bread king, a guy who keeps on giving them free bread because then they'll be full, and that's what they want. And uh, so they're trying to make Jesus a king on their terms. Jesus actually will become king through suffering, through being crowned with thorns, through being throned on a cross, uh, and uh, even dressed in the purple robes smeared with his own blood. That's the way Jesus will become king, not on our terms or under our understanding. The King Jesus has come to wear a crown of thorns, and uh, he is not promising a chicken in every pot, a a fish sandwich in every uh, lunchbox. He has come to bring the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Glory be to Jesus. We need to take a break. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial.
are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for Sunday morning worship. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in between. During the season of Lent, we have an extra opportunity on Wednesdays. We worship Wednesday evening, 630 year-round, but during this season, we also have a 4 p.m. service and a fellowship meal in between. We're located at 3825 Wildbriar Drive in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can also listen to all of our church services live on KNNALP 95.7. And if you're outside of our listening area, you can download the app. You can go to our website, thecross957.org. Check out all of our archived programs as well. Thank you for listening, and we love your feedback. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday in Lent. The Old Testament reading, Isaiah 49, 8 to 13. Vicar? Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, Come out to those who are in darkness appear. They shall feed along the ways, and all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, And behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. We have a a section of Isaiah that is probably not as familiar to our hearers as many other uh, sections in Isaiah, sometimes referred to as the Old Testament gospel, according to Isaiah. Marvelous images here. We have overtones of that Psalm 23 as well that uh, Pastor Moline brought out brilliantly in our first two segments with regard to John chapter 6. And at the end, it's talking about, for the Lord has comforted his people and have compassion on his afflicted. The uh, part of Isaiah, you know, you can you can break Isaiah into several parts for study, but there's a pretty significant break at the end of chapter 39 and at the beginning of chapter 40. Chapter 40 begins, comfort, comfort ye my people. And now here it says, for the Lord has comforted his people. Pastor, what is this comfort that the Holy Spirit through the prophet Isaiah is talking about? Uh, well, I mean, t- to give the basic uh, Sunday school answer, Jesus, right? I mean, that's, that's the truth is that Isaiah is uh, 700, 800 years before the time of the fulfillment of all these things, teaching us and pointing us ahead to Jesus. And even these particular words are uh, 
shown to be fulfilled in Jesus in uh, Revelation chapter 7, where they're uh, kind of quoted almost verbatim, but not quite, uh, in describing what it will be like for us in Jesus's kingdom of heaven. We uh, we have in uh, earlier in Isaiah 49, right before here, we have um, one of the four servant songs. And uh, Listen to me, O coastlands. This is uh, Isaiah 49, verse 1. Give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he held me. He made me a polished arrow. And in verse 3, and he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I have glorified. Isaiah 40, 49, 1 to 7 is uh, generally referred to as one of the great servant songs in Isaiah. So these words coming right after that particular servant song, Isaiah, what is Isaiah teaching us here uh, with regard to what this servant, maybe maybe what this servant is, and who or and uh, what this servant is to do. Well, uh, we're talking here about the reality that this servant is coming to uh, grant salvation and to uh, establish a land and to feed his people and to have pity on them and give them water. And so, uh, I'm going to be a you know, a Lutheran here and, and shoot ahead. Uh, he's, he's teaching us to look forward to the Lord's Supper where we shall not hunger or thirst. He's teaching us to look towards baptism, the springs of living water that will guide us. Uh, and he's teaching us uh, to look forward to all the grace that our Lord Jesus Christ will deliver upon us so that we might sing, O heavens, and exalt, O earth, and break forth, O mountains, into singing because the Lord comforts his people and has compassion upon those afflicted with sin. Early in our text, in uh, verse 6, it says, uh, In a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. This past, present, and future that God is talking about, how is this played out for God's people today? Well, um, it's it's played out in the sense that uh, God is always God and always has been God and always will be God. And what our faith is, is that it receives the things that God gives. It always, uh, the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Word, focuses our eyes upon Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so that's the idea, past, present, future, all of our faith looks to Christ and receives his gifts. And that's been the same uh, for those who existed at the time of Adam and Eve, right after the fall of sin, his children and grandchildren children. Uh, it's the, the truth for those who lived in the time of Isaiah. They're looking forward to the fulfillment of all God's word in Jesus. It's the same for us living in the time of the church uh, and the end, end times, in fact, looking back to Christ. Uh, in, in that sense, all of us are having the same faith and receiving the same gifts from our Lord, forgiveness, life, and salvation. Christ has come and fulfilled God's will. Christ is with us presently. Christ will be with us in the future. And uh, that theme is present throughout the book of Isaiah. That theme is present throughout all 66 books of God's Word. It, uh, it says here uh, that all of these promises are going to be to those uh, who are from desolate heritages. 
and to the prisoners come out? Who are these people that don't have an don't have a heritage or are prisoners? Are are we talking about people in jail? Is there uh, something bigger going on here? Well, I, I mean. I suppose people in jail would qualify, but I wouldn't limit it to that. I would say this is those who are, uh, their heritage is a desolation because they have sin and uh, the uh, curses upon them. Those who are in jail in the sense of uh, the uh, the punishment of death and, and all that comes with that. And it's to those people across all nations and all peoples and languages and tribes uh, that the good news has come that sets us free in Jesus Christ so that we may have peace and comfort and hope in him. You already talked about the uh, anticipation for the Lord's Supper. When I look at these words beginning in Isaiah 49, verse 10, they shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, um, uh, lead them, springs of water will guide them, he will make the mountains a road, the highways shall be raised up. Is this talking about something that is happening in the present or is this talking about some future activity or something something that will come at the end of the world? Well, it, it's a yes and yes on both of those things. It's a now and not yet. And I, th- I think it'd be worth reading here uh, the words from Revelation chapter 7 that uh, I think mirror these words very clearly, um, talking about, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I think... Um, that gives us a great picture. That's our hope now as we're in the tribulation and our hope fulfilled when we leave this tribulation. And so in that sense, it's yes, now and not yet. It is uh, It is amazing. You know, people always want to study the book of Revelation and all the wild, crazy images that are there. And I have told people time after time after time, uh, the proper way to study the book of Revelation is, first of all, to read, study, mark, inwardly learn the Old Testament, especially Genesis, Exodus, Isaiah, and all or nearly all of the word pictures and images that are there are clearly taught us. We don't have to speculate. God's word has told us. Vicar in verse 13, uh, how do the people react to this good news of a servant who will come and set them free and save them from sin, death, and the power of the devil. Well, in certain rejoicing, not just of them of their physical selves, but their souls, their spirits are rejoicing because they've been redeemed. It actually reminds me of Mary rejoicing the Magnificat, singing to the heavens and exulting, O earth, break forth, O mountains, into singing. That's not anything that we could recognized by physical means, but only could be done uh, when our soul rejoices. Who are these people, Pastor, uh, that come from afar, from the north, from the west, from the land of Syene? Uh, who, who are these people? Well, essentially, they're all of us, and that's the, uh, uh, really, it's the 
counteraction to what God did at uh, Babel that's fulfilled in Pentecost, and now uh, all the peoples of all the languages of all the worlds are co- all the world, not the worlds. We are the world. Uh, <laughs> oh no, we are the people. We're all being brought together by the word of Jesus Christ, and just uh, kind of bring it to an idea. This this language or this area of Syene would be where the Aswan Dam is today. It's the first cataract of the Nile River is the, the place that Syene is. And so that's from the south then. So north, south, west, those are the places uh, that you can go from Israel, and those are the places people are coming from. Jesus has come and brings pleasure eternal. We see not only the people of God rejoicing, but even the mountains. Uh, Pastor, what is this that so often occurs in Scripture where we have the land, the desert, the mountains, the rivers, all of these inanimate objects breaking forth in praise and joy? Well, uh, all these things uh, are created by the Word of God, called into existence by that, and are subject to it. And so it's not really surprising to us that when uh, God does his work and saving action, that these uh, things that are the creation of God glorify him uh, in their very existence. In fact, that's the way it's supposed to be. It's an undoing of the curse that sin has brought upon the world, and that's the picture that we should see there. Things are being set free from sin and returned turn to the proper way and order that they should have been in from the beginning. All creation groans in expectation of the coming of our Lord. And uh, we see that at the fulfillment of the ages, all creation rejoices. What a marvelous picture for us on this fourth Sunday in Lent. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial or that tile or anything else that comes out of my mouth. We'll be back in just a moment. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday in Lent. In our first two segments, we looked at our gospel reading, John 6, 1 to 15. In our third segment, we looked at the Old Testament reading, Isaiah 49, 8 to 13. And on this La Tarde Sunday, Rejoice Sunday, maybe rose-colored pyramids on the altar Sunday, Our epistle reading isn't really an epistle. Uh, Sometimes the uh, epistle reading is a substitute with a reading from the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, we have our resident expert on the Acts of the Apostles here, who's now feigning uh, that he isn't an expert, and he's looking over his shoulder for somebody. But uh, Pastor Moline has, uh, has done extensive work Uh, study, preaching, teaching on the uh, Acts of the Apostles, and uh, quite frankly is a real blessing in that area. We have some pretty familiar words here, Acts chapter 2, and uh, these are words that are often um, twisted 
and contorted to say something that they don't really say and to the point almost where Lutheran Christians avoid them because of that. So we want to uh, take this opportunity to unpack Acts 2, 41 to 47. Vicar? So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, well, we can see pretty clearly why this reading is selected uh, to complement the uh, food and bread that is promised by Isaiah uh, in Isaiah 49 by God, the uh, loaves and the fishes that are multiplied by Jesus, the uh, uh, verse 46 where it says the uh, early apostles received their food with glad and generous hearts. Uh, that is the obvious connection and how it ties in very, very well here. Uh, Acts chapter 2. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What day are we talking about here, Pastor? We're talking about the day of Pentecost, uh-huh. where uh, St. Peter preaches a marvelously Lutheran sermon uh, in the Temple Mount um, after the uh, Holy Spirit came upon them and allowed them to speak in different languages. Uh, And so all the people have heard this sermon with law and gospel based on God's word from the Old Testament, and it's hearing that word uh, that creates and sustains faith within them, uh, and the desire to even be baptized is created by the hearing of that sermon. I mentioned in our preparatory remarks that these words are often twisted and contorted to say something they're not really saying. Uh, This is some pretty amazing church growth here, Pastor. 3,000 souls are added that particular day. And down at the end, in verse 47, it says, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So if our church is not growing exponentially, if we're not adding numbers day by day, putting uh, dollars in the plates and uh, rear ends in the pews, um, we're probably not being faithful to God's Word. That's what this text is teaching us, right? No, I don't think it's teaching that at all. In fact, uh, we see here that the... uh, The word is allowing the church to grow, but later on we see that uh, it also causes sometimes people to fall away in times of persecution. And throughout these ups and downs, the apostles uh, are very Lutheran in their actions, and they continue to preach God's word and its truth and purity uh, in times of growth and in times of struggle. And they don't change their message uh, no matter what uh, is happening in the wider world or even within the church. And I think that that teaches us how we ought to act as Lutheran Christians even today, we stick to God's word, nothing more, nothing less. This uh, this text is also uh, used uh, by many politically, 
and uh, we should get rid of our capitalistic society, we should get rid of our laissez-faire economy, and we should immediately institute a uh, communistic, socialistic type uh, government because this is the society that is uh, recorded for us here. Um, it says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any who had need. Pastor, uh, is this where we should be getting our political and socioeconomic uh, marching orders from the Lord? No, uh, it's not saying those sorts of things here at all, but rather it's talking about they have a common confession of faith, and that's what they hold together. That's what uh, creates a the body of Christ within them and around them and in them. Um, and that even the selling of their possessions to give to anyone who had need, uh, this isn't enforced from the government from above or from a party or anything like that, but rather it's uh, hearing God's word. That's the way Christians live. They take care of their neighbor in need, and this is perhaps best reflected in the prayer that we pray after uh, the Lord's Supper in the divine service, where we say, uh, faith towards you and fervent love towards one another. In other words, the Christian lives in faith towards God and also takes care of the people who hurt or have needs around them. That's just a reality of having faith. We live in such a selfish, individualistic society where we don't notice and don't care about the needs of others because there's certainly a government program that'll take care of that. And uh, I think this is a good wake-up call for Christians to simply act like Christians, to be generous, to notice when our neighbor hurts, and to love and serve one another as God has loved and served us. We, uh, I saved the uh, what I believe is the most important part of this text for the uh, last half of this segment. Verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. We have four things that are specifically mentioned here, Pastor, that the uh, early disciples devoted themselves to. First, a word on that word, devoted. Well, uh, what this what this word is in the the Greek is is continuing on with or being a part of or participation in. Uh, that's the word that's here. It's proskartereo, uh, and what that means is that they're participating in something that is bigger than themselves, really. So their devotion is being a part of this larger thing. And I'd say the thing that they're, uh, the larger thing that they're a part of, if you look at this, is really the divine service, the worship of the church, where there's preaching by the apostles, there is breaking of bread in the Lord's Supper, there's fellowship, and there's prayers. This is uh, the service of the church, the liturgy of the church, if you will. That's what they're a part of that is bigger than themselves and that they then are devoted to. And I think we could really learn a whole lot from that in our own lives because anymore we're really not devoted to it. It's, um, it's kind of something that's fallen by the wayside and taken a back seat to many of the other things in our lives. People today are devoted to their work. They're devoted to their family. They're devoted to their favorite sports team. Uh, Olivia Newton-John was hopelessly devoted to John Travolta in the movie Grease. Uh, we know all about being devoted 
to things in uh, this society. And, and I'm not saying that any of those things are necessarily bad. But what God's Word is teaching us here is what is the most important thing to be devoted to. And anything else breaks the first commandment. And I love how you brought out that all of these things are basically a reference to the divine service. This is rarely brought out. This is rarely taught, and it is absolutely clear. So uh, we've got a little less than a minute to spend on each one of these things. What is, Pastor, the Apostles' teaching? Well, it's uh, the same thing that we've just seen in uh, Acts chapter 2, where Peter preached a sermon based on uh, Old Testament texts, uh, and it could happen also in uh, studying of the Bible and answering and uh, uh, receiving questions about things, or we would call it Bible study today. That's the sort of thing he's talking about. Okay, the apostles' teaching is the Word of God. Correct. It is the Bible, uh, full force and uh, not picking and choosing. Fellowship, uh, koinonia, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, when they think of fellowship, they think of coffee and rolls after, after church, or they think of a potluck in a Lutheran uh, church setting. When it says the fellowship, what is that, Pastor? Well, even the, the word in the Greek, koinonia, means the things that we have in common. And that, again, is doctrine and teaching, uh, as well as also we are the body of Christ. And so when our uh, fellow Christians are in need or care, we show that to them. And that's the sort of idea that we are all one in the body of Christ, and we care and love for each other, and we confess and hold the same teachings as true. People may not realize, but the uh, call letters for our radio station, K-N-N-A, is an abbreviation of that word, koinonia. That's where we came up with it. Uh, the uh, third one that is listed is the breaking of the bread. Uh, this isn't a potluck reference, is it? No, it's uh, talking about the Lord's Supper uh, and that uh, the uh, church was constantly having the Lord's Supper at all their times they got together. Uh, we see that uh, recorded also in other places from the early, early church years. For example, like the apostolic uh, uh, teaching of uh, Hippolytus of Rome. Uh, and uh, we note too here that it says the breaking of the bread. It doesn't just mean one loaf or anything like that, but rather uh, just like you go to the bread aisle and there's many loaves of bread in the bread aisle. This is the same idea. They have 3,000 people plus uh, growing every day that they're communing together in the Lord's Supper. And then the, third, the final one there, the fourth one, the prayers. I know some English translation just say prayer, and uh, that is not a good translation of the text in Acts. Um, some people might think that it's redundant to say the prayers, Pastor, unpack that for us. You, you gave us a teaser before when you were talking about uh, the divine service and the liturgy. What is God teaching us here through the Apostle Luke uh, with regard to the prayers? Well, again, this is the uh, the liturgy of the church uh, and all the things that take place uh, within the divine service. And so we pray the Lord's Prayer, which is the greatest prayer. We pray um the prayer, uh, the collects of the church. We pray the litany in the church. We do all these different prayers in the divine service, and that's the idea. These are the well-known prayers. Uh, that's why it's not just prayer, but the prayers, because they're the well-known ones that everybody across all Christendom prays together. And when we think about what that might mean, that is referring then to the liturgy of the church, in which, I mean, I hate to say it anymore, you can't really, but, you know, 
200 years ago across 95% of the churches in the world, it would all look familiar and very similar in the things that they were doing in their worship services. The prayers were like written down and put in books and we call them hymnals. And uh, that's why we use a hymnal for our liturgical worship. This is nothing new and uh, it is a great blessing for the church. And with Luke's gospel, I mean, that's very clear because all the great hymns and things of the church that we do uh, are recorded for us by Luke. Luke is very liturgical in what he teaches. Amen. Vicar, would you bring things to a close by praying the collect of the day? Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, your mercies are new every morning, and though we deserve only punishment, you receive us as your children and provide for all our needs of body and soul. Grant that we may heartily acknowledge your merciful goodness, give thanks for all your benefits, and serve you in willing obedience. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today to Proclaiming the One. When you get up on Sunday morning, read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor, and most of all, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ. We'll see you again next week.